Uh, some of you have asked me if I'm nervous or if I'm anxious, and the answer is absolutely not. I, I have a great God who is the Ancient of Days, and His Holy Spirit is with us and present with us, and His Word is the work. He's the one that works in our hearts, and as long as I stick to the Scriptures, I'm not anxious at all, because uh, I'm not the one who brings repentance. I'm not the one who brings change, transformation. He is, and so I'm very confident in Him. If I was nervous, I wouldn't be confident in Him. So turn with me, if you would, to Amos. Amos, one of the minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, a book of nine chapters, a book power-packed with reality. I don't can't imagine reading or studying or preaching on a book that's more relevant than this book is. It was written 2,750 years ago, and it is still as relevant today as it was back then. It is because God wrote it, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that we, the men of God, may be equipped for every good work. And we trust that this word will not return into him void, but it will accomplish where he sent it. So as I, as he uses me, I pray that it would, that it would fall on your ears and that God would use it. If you'll turn with me. To the book of Amos. Amos speaks to the world in which we live. When the prophet Amos wrote to the nation of Israel, he wrote primarily to the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom had split previously. If you want to know the exact date of that and the specifics of that, you're in the right place if you go to David Gibson's class. Rehoboam, his son, and Jeroboam, an, an, an enemy that God raised up split the nation of Israel. Ten went with Jeroboam, and and Judah and Benjamin were with uh, were with uh, Rehoboam, his son. And the nation of Israel, in God's plan and providence, was in a relatively good spot, so to speak. Jeroboam one and Jeroboam two. The nation was very wealthy. The nation was free from enemies for a little window of time. The Egyptians, the Assyrians, uh, uh, they weren't under threat from them, so things were good. They were a very religious people. They went above and beyond the call of duty in their religion as they tried to approach God their way. So, very similar to our nation today. We're a very wealthy nation and we are free from major wars and conflicts. And the nation uh, mirrors the nation of Israel. As I get into God's complaint against the nation, you will see we mirror almost exactly the nation of Israel during this time. And so it's very applicable to us. And so my heart is, uh, I'm not pointing fingers at anyone when you do that. Someone said four point back at you. I'm not accusing anyone of anything. I'm just asking you to hear God's word and may God's spirit challenge you where you need to be challenged. He's already challenged me in this uh, and I will tell you and I will publicly confess that where he's challenged me and hopefully that will make you feel comfortable to confess your faults one to another. So let's look at this. Our first of all thing I want to look at, let's turn to Amos and I'm not going to go chronologically through the book, but I'm going to go in the order of, and your, in the notes for the sermon or in your bulletin. I'm not able to, uh, chew gum and walk at the same time. I did not do a PowerPoint, but uh, persevere with me, if you will, and just the notes are in your bulletin. And we'll look at the first uh, part of the, uh, uh, is going to be the calling of Amos. So if you're in your notes, you have a little space there. I'm going to look at the calling of Amos to a land that is very similar to ours in America today. I, um, uh, Amos chapter 7, uh, if you'll if you'll look at uh, verse 14 and 15 with me as we look at the calling of Amos. Amos speaking, I was no prophet, nor was I a son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. 
Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people, Israel. So Amos is a man of no predisposition to ministry service. He does not have a long line of initials after his name. He's not a THD or a PhD or a whatever initial you want to put after your name. He was an unlearned. He was an unskilled man. He was a sheep breeder, and he was a tender of sycamore fruit. He's a blue-collar guy. And he would be one of the most unlikely folks that you would think that God would choose to speak to his people. But the key to this is verse 15. The Lord took me. The Lord can take you. And the Lord can use you in whatever way He wants. One of the job tasks I have as an elder is to assimilate the body of Christ so that they may effectively use their gifts that God has given them. Every one of us, if we are in Christ, has been given a gift. Those gifts are to be used for God's glory to build all of us up, to encourage us all, so that we are not tossed about by doctrine, errors. And we're not, we don't fall astray, and we're not led astray. And when God's people obey God's Word and use God's gifts to accomplish God's purposes, He is glorified. So, my question to you is this. Are you, first of all, aware of God's gift to you? He has a gift He's given to you. You are responsible to find out what that gift is. And then you are responsible to use that gift as God would give you opportunity. Some of you are teachers. Use that gift. Some of you have the gift of helps and mercy. Use that gift. Some of you are behind-the-scenes guys. Most of you probably fall into that category. God doesn't need more people to speak forth His Word. He has them in this church. We need people. We need, I need people to be home group leaders. If you want to be one, you come up to me after class, after service. We need people to work in children's ministry. We need women to mentor younger women. God has equipped this church, and God will provide the gift of this church to provide for the needs of this church. So I'm calling you, I'm calling me to faithfulness to God. One of the things that when we stand before God at the Bema seat, it's not going to be whether or not we are believers, whether or not we are heaven-bound or hell-bound. That's been determined by God, okay? But what we need to understand is we're accountable to what gifts God has given us, and we're accountable of how we use those gifts. So just like Amos, who was a obscure prophet 2,700 years ago, minding his own business as a sheep herder and a, and a tender of sycamore fruit. The Lord took him. The Lord took David. He was just a shepherd. The Lord took Moses when he was hiding from him in the hills of Horeb, and he appeared to him at the burning bush. And Moses, I, 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 I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. Excuse, excuse, excuse. Do you identify with Moses? Moses, God said, I'm sending you, Moses. And so, God gives his people, and God's will will be accomplished. If you're not obedient to that call, he can raise up rocks to be faithful to him. But my uh, calling to you, application to us this morning, in this particular step is, are you aware of your gifts? Will you be faithful to that gift? And we're going to talk about this in a minute. God hates excuses. God hates excuses. So we see the calling of the prophet. We see the application. All of us in this room, if you're in Christ, you are an ambassador for him. You represent him to the people. And you are also a minister of reconciliation. You are called to bring men to God through the means he's ordained, and that's Jesus Christ. 
So we all have this same calling in our lives, whether we're gifted uh, in any which way that we are. We are called without excuse to be ministers of reconciliation, and we are called to be ambassadors for him. My question to me, my question to you is, are you faithful to that call? No excuses necessary, no excuses allowed. In love, I say to you, don't be someone who will say at the end and give an excuse before the Lord. He's done everything for us. That is our obligation as as servants to be faithful to Him. So I call you to that faithfulness as we see Amos in this calling. Second thing I want us to see as we get into the uh, into the gist of this, uh, uh, God has point number two. God has a complaint against His people. God has a complaint against His people. I have, for time reference, have broken this down into two primary complaints. So if you're in your notes, we're under section two. God has a complaint against the nation of Israel. And we see the first complaint in chapter two, verse four. Chapter one is God's complaint against the nations, the Moabites and the, and the Philistines and Tyre and Sidon and the Edomites and the Ammonites. We're not concerned with the enemies of God. We're concerned with the people of God. So now we're going to look at God's complaint against His people. Now I'm going to address this as both against the northern and the southern kingdom. He has this same complaint against both of His people. Look at Amos chapter 2, verse 4. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they have despised the law of the Lord, and they have not kept His commandments. Now, uh, when it says three transgressions... And for four, that's a literary device. We don't take it literally. He didn't literally say, you have three issues I'm concerned about. This phrase means there are many things I'm concerned about, but this is going to bring it down to this primary one. God says to the nation of Israel, you have despised my law and have not kept my commandments. The word despised in the Hebrew is ma'as. I had our resident Hebrew scholar tell me how to pronounce that, ma'as. It's a Hebrew word, and it is pregnant with meaning. When God says, you have despised my law, he says, you've rejected it. He means you've spurned it, you've disdained it. That's the attitude of the rejection, is the attitude of you have abhorred it, you've refused it, you've cast it off. And sadly, my word, of all the nations of the earth, God specifically came to the nation of Israel and gave them his law and his love, and they... The word reject means his word became loathsome to them. His word became vile, and the word is festering like a sore. So God's word for God's people, specifically given to that people group, the nation of Israel, they rejected it and despised it. And when you reject God's word, you reject God. And so God's complaint against the nation of Israel is, you've rejected my word, you've despised it. And not only that, it has become an emotional, vile, festering word to you. Application, I don't think anyone in this building would tell me that they despise the Word of God. As a matter of fact, if you come to Grace Bible, that's a good indication that you do love the Word, you desire the Word. So that application, apples to apples, I don't believe applies to this church. What I want to say, as the Holy Spirit gives me this direction, is has God's Word become a little dry to you? Have you had the attitude, I was in another church and the pastor opened up, he said, turn to Ephesians and and the lady beside me who had been there many years in that church, she goes, heard it. Are you ever in your mind, and only you know this, maybe your spouse, 
when God's word is open, has that word become redundant to you? Has it become dry to you? Has it become so familiar to you that it no longer brings transformation and change to your life? Or is it an opportunity for you to catch up on a nap? What effect does God's Word have on you today? God's Word says we should love His Word. We should delight in His Word. We should have a passion for His Word. And so I'm not accusing anyone in here of hating God's Word or rejecting God's Word. I'm asking you in your heart of hearts... Is God's Word still a fire within your burns? And do you still love it? Is it still a passion of your heart? Or have other things taken away from God's Word in your heart? And only you know that. But you know what? God knows that. So His challenge to you may be, return to me the first love. I know your works. I know this. I know this. I know that. We have a string of commendations. We have a great history in this church, 40 years. Terry will talk about that in the uh, state of the church. Our present history. Keith is going to talk about that in the state of the church. I get to talk about the future of our church. And the future of our church begins with the foundation of our church started a focus and a passion for God's Word because God's Word alone changes hearts. God's Word is the only thing this world needs. It's what Granbury needs. It's what Hood County needs. It's what Texas needs. It's what desperately our nation needs. So, I don't accuse anyone, but I just ask you, as God's Word still fervent in your heart and passionate in your heart, do you meditate on it? Do you read it? Do you memorize it? Or do you go on your, do you go through the Bible and you read it and you put it up and never think again about it? And you make that check, check that day. It's very, it's very easy to go through the motion. Check the box. I read Job 38 through 40 today. Does it affect you? Does it change you? Does it create passion for you, for people, and to be obedient to God? So they despise the law of the Lord. And so, that God has a complaint. And as a evidence, a root cause of, of, of despising God's word leads to this. Chapter 2, verse 6, because they despise God's Word, always you can trace this to the dust on your Bible. If you're not faithful reading your Word, this will happen to you. It don't matter how many accountability partners you have. It doesn't matter how many Bible studies you're in. If you are not loving and delighting and memorizing and letting the Word change you as the Holy Spirit does that within you, this will happen to you. It happened to the nation of Israel. Jot on down to uh, to chapter 2, verse 6. Because they have despised the word, verse 6, they, se- they, they sell the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals. They pan after the dust of the earth, which is on the head of the poor. They pervert the ways of the humble. A man and his father go into the same girl to defy my holy name. They lie down by every altar on clothes taken in pledge, and they drink the wine of the condemned. God's word when despised and rejected, is the root cause for all of these sins. We see covetousness, which is idolatry. The nation of Israel had wealthy people, poor people, just like our country. I read a thing, 64 people have $4 trillion of wealth in America, and $200 million can't afford a $1,000 expense. Rich, poor, the rich were socially unjust toward the poor when the poor couldn't pay their debts. They would imprison them. They would take their clothes as a pledge and wouldn't give it back at the end of the day. And they were covetous and they were idolatrous. Covetousness consumed them one more dollar. And so they, as a, as a result of despising God's word, they became covetous. They became unjust to the poor. They took bribes and they were a sexually immoral people. Remind you of anybody or any nation today. We were, we were bred and formed as a nation by godly men and women who came over with the desire to worship God rightly from England. 
We've abandoned that. Men gave up their lives, their possessions for a country where they could freely worship God. I know there were some deists mixed in and we could have the argument. But basically, God brought a group of people here for his purposes. And through their efforts and through the efforts of this once great nation, the evangelist gospel is spread to all the world. Tocqueville said, nation, uh, United States is great because the United States is good. And if United States ever seeks to be, stops being good, they will not become great. So that's what we are. Our rejecting the word, our casting out of the school systems, our separating the church and state was never the intent of the forefathers. We've despised the word of God. We have sown the wind and we're going to reap the whirlwind. And so now our nation is characterized by covetousness, sexual immorality. We can't even define what a man and a woman are. We don't even have to put on our birth certificates what a male or female is. We can't, in the Congress of the United States, we can't even say he, she. We have to say they or them because we want to be sensitive to the transgender community. That is an abomination. That is a despising of the word. We can't even say that a marriage should be between a man and a woman anymore, but it's whatever you want to do. We have taken God's word. We haven't, we haven't retained it in our hearts, and God has given us over to reprobation. That's our nation. That's the way it was in Israel. That's always the way it's going to be, period. So that's what happened. Application to us, many within the Christian community want a smorgasbord faith. They want a little bit of prosperity. They want a little bit of rub and a genie. Let God be our personal piggy bank. Whenever I call upon him, he will. He is obligated to answer me. And if he doesn't answer me, it's because I don't have enough faith. We have others that are so rigid in their legalism that if you don't wear a pair of pants to church, you're not, if you wear a pair of pants and you're a woman, you obviously are not spiritual enough. So we have both ends of the spectrum. Legalism. We have this charismaticism that is, that is not based upon the Word of God. And you have men and women believing the way they want about God, and God becomes a figment of their own imagination. And God said, you thought I was altogether like you. And so we make him like him. We gather around people, and we bring in people that have the same itchy ears that tell us how wonderful and important we are. That's the state of the church in America today, and that is the consequence of forsaking the Word of God. Vain worship. Look at chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. Come to Bethel and transgress, and Gilgal, multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. Proclaim and announce the free will offerings. For this you love, you children of Israel. God never told the nation of Israel to worship at Bethel and Gilgal. He had said, you're going to worship in Jerusalem, and you're going to worship this way, the right way, through Levitical priesthood, through the sacrificial system. But what they did, what Jeroboam did when he split the, uh, when they split the kingdoms, he said, let's worship at Bethel and Gilgal, because we don't want you to go back into Jerusalem, because he was afraid he would lose the loyalty of the people if they went back to Jerusalem to worship. So he said, and what happened? Miraculously, two golden calves came out. Remind you of anything? And he said, these are the ones who have taken you out of the land of Israel. These are the ones who have blessed you. And so they started worshiping golden calves. They started, they were still religious. Look what they said. They tithed every three days. God never told them to tithe every three days. Man's idea of worship, work-based faith. We're going to please God, but God wants your heart. He doesn't want the sacrifices. They're an abominations. As a matter of fact, if you want to know what he says, look at 521. I hate your feast days. God hated their religiosity. 
He hated their man ways to approach him because they came with leaven, which represents evil. They worshiped wrong way. They worshiped out of wrong hearts. And God said, I hate your feast days. I don't savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away me the noise of your songs became an abomination to God because it wasn't offered in faith. It wasn't offered rightly. It wasn't offered as obedience. It was compromise, man's way of approaching God. God will always reject that. There's one way to God through Jesus Christ. And He calls it that way. Anytime we despise His Word, we're going to fall into these dangerous steps. That's what's happened to our nation. And there is no balm in Gilead for our nation apart from Christ. Okay? That's why we read the word judgment begins at the house of God. And if it begins at the house of God, what's going to happen to the righteous? Huh? To the wicked. Okay? So, application one, they despise God's word led to all kinds of vile behavior. It's what happened to our nation. Point number two. Now, if you didn't feel your toes stepped on, maybe you didn't, but curl up your toes for this. Amos 6.1. Point number two. God's complaint against Israel. Wow, how time really flies. I know what Terry feels like now. Point number two. Woe to you who are at ease in Zion. This is going to speak to America. This is going to speak to the church in America. The word ease, those of you who are in ease, that means have become complacent. Self-satisfied. Insolent. Proud. Secure in your own beliefs about God. Spurgeon said, being ease in Zion is trusting in good works, past good works, reading the press clippings about how you used to be so faithful. He that trusts in their own works, the works of the past, leans upon a broken reed. Spurgeon. So he asked this question, Woe to you who are at ease in Zion, you trust in Mount Samaria. You are militarily secure now, and you trust in your military to protect you. Notable persons, you trust in your politicians. Oh, my goodness. One of the saddest things I've seen within the Christian community is that Donald Trump has been elevated to be the Savior of the world. He never was and he never will be. He was God's man and that God put him in that office, but he was never a godly man. And there are so many Christians who follow him and idolize him, and it's sad. He's not the answer. He has never been the answer, nor will the one who precedes him. God is the answer. To the church... He would say, don't be at ease, don't be self-satisfied, don't be complacent, don't be proud, don't depend on the military, don't depend on government. These little checks they're going to give you do not secure your financial future. They do not give you hope. They do not satisfy the problems of the world, do they? They are temporary fixes given to us to endear us to them and to ensure their power. Did I say that? I said that. We're not to be at ease. Look at that. Look what else happens. And the question is, look what God says. He's, he's, he's calling them to, to examine their complacency. Look what he says in verse 2. Go over to Galna and from there go to Hamath, go down to Gath. These were enemies that had been destroyed because of their wickedness. And he asked the question, are you better than these kingdoms? The answer is no. So, the call is to examine yourselves, church, to depend upon Him alone, and to understand that He is the judge of the earth. He will do what's right, and if we do not turn, we will suffer the consequences. Our nation certainly has. Look what they did, verse 3. Woe to you who put off the day of doom. 
who cause the seed of violence to come near. Procrastination causes effects. In this text, procrastinating, doing what they know they should have done but didn't do it, but procrastinating repentance. That's why the Scripture says today, if you hear His voice, harden not your heart, because the Holy Spirit of God may not come to you in the same way that it's coming to you right now. Don't procrastinate it. If God is calling you to repentance, you repent. You turn. Because if you do not turn, if you procrastinate, if you reject God's call on you, you are being a cause of other things. And it's in this it says, who caused the seed of violence to come near. Because the nation of Israel was at ease, because they were procrastinating, because they were not listening to the words of the prophet, but they were maybe they were thinking next week, maybe they were saying tomorrow, things are good now. We don't need God. But we understand from history, around 750, this is written, 722, 30 years later, the nation of Israel was wiped out. They were destroyed by the Assyrians. They were dispersed, and they're still scattered. Those ten tribes are still scattered today because they put off the prophets. They put off the warnings And that led to violence and that led to the consequences. So I say to me and I say to you, sounds like they didn't need God. Look at this. They lie on, verse 4, they lie on beds of ivory. They stretch out their couches. They eat lambs from the flocks and calves from the midst of the stalls. They sing idly to the string instruments and invent for themselves musical instruments like David. They drink wine from bowls. They anoint themselves with the best ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Israel. Does that sound like the church today? Does that sound like America today? It is a perfect comparison between 27 years ago, the nation of Israel, and America today. It is a very dangerous thing to be at ease. Scripture tells us that it is. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Scripture tells us in Ecclesiastes 7.4, it's better to mourn than to laugh because mourning changes the heart. And so my call to you, my call to me is to grieve America, grieve the ineffectiveness of the church today in America. I know God is sovereign, and I know one single sheep will be lost without His care. And I know that He ordains a means, and that means is for His people to be faithful to what He's called them to do. And we're going to be accountable to our faithfulness to what He's called us to do. So, help us not to be proud, O Lord. Help us to grieve. Help us not to be indifferent. One of the greatest condemnations ever given to the church was to the church at Laodicea. Seven churches in the Revelation, all literal churches in Turkey, but also have a representative meeting to the church age. In the church age in which we live, Laodicea defines today's present church age to a T. They didn't know they were wretched, miserable, blind, and naked. They were lukewarm. They weren't hot. They weren't cold. He would prefer them to be hot or cold, but they were lukewarm. They were salt that had lost their savor. And what happens to salt that's lost its effectiveness? It's trodden under by the foot of men. Isn't that what Scripture say? I think that is if you want to check in Matthew. So, we see a people at ease. We see a church at ease if it applies that to us. And so we see God's call for His people to humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then he'll hear from heaven. So my calling to you, my calling to me, we aren't better than other kingdoms. America is damned and doomed unless America changes. And God is the only hope for America. We're not better than Britain. We're not better than Germany. We're not better than Russia. We're not better than the Soviet Republic. All of these nations in history that have crumbled and fallen, the Roman Empire, the Babylonians, the Assyrians all have that same thing in common. They fell when they used to be a great nation. We're headed that way. We are. God warns His people. Look at chapter 3. God warns His people. 
And this is how he does it. This is how he still does it today. God's complaint is that they despise the word and they're at ease. And that's led to all sorts of of, uh, consequences. Look how God in his mercy and his love, he doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. And he certainly is not willing that any of his people should perish. So he warns us. Look at these warnings. And and do you see any of these warnings in America today? Look at uh, Amos, Amos 3. The first thing God warns us, if you're in section 3 now, we're looking at the way God warns us. Number one way is He reminds us of the blessings. Look at Amos 3, 1 through 2. Hear the word of the Lord that He has spoken against you, children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. To whom as much is given, much is required. Think about that for a while. nation of Israel was given much. The only nation that was given the law and the prophets. And God revealed himself only to the nation of Israel, with a few exceptions of some people that came along, uh, who God graced that same way. So he warns and he reminds his people, look at the past blessings. If you want to apply that to this church, look at the foundation of 40 years. Look at how he's blessed our church. Look how he's kept us unified. Look how he's kept us grounded in the Word. We're to be thankful for that. And that should be the buoy, uh, that should be the foundation stone. I say a word, I don't know what it was. That should be the foundation for our future faithfulness to him. Foundation, present, future. Stay in the Word. Stay faithful. Remember the blessings and trust Him for the continued blessings. So He reminds them of their blessing. He appeals to their conscience. God does that in His Word. Uh, uh, Amos 3, 3 through 6.2. He warns us by reminding us of our blessings and He appeals to our conscience. Can two walk together unless they're agreed? The rhetorical question, the answer is no. Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he's caught nothing? Will a bird fall into the snare of the earth when there's no trap? No, 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 no. Will a snare spring up from the earth if it's caught nothing? No. If a trumpet is blown in the city, will not the people will be afraid? If there's a calamity in the city, will not the Lord have done it? Appeals to our conscience, appeals to what we know about the Word of God, appeals to what who God is, His character and His attributes. It never changes. It's always going to be the same. He appeals to their conscience and He reminds them of their blessing. I appeal to your conscience. I appeal to God's blessings in your life. Remember, may it remind you. He uses prophets. Verse 7, Surely the Lord doesn't do anything unless He reveals His secret to servants and prophets. A lion is roared, who will not fear? The Lord has spoken. Who can but tell forth God's word? I am a sheep herder with no numbers after my name, and I am just simply telling you this is what the Lord says. If he uses it to minister to you, I'm very thankful. So we warn in love. We rebuke in love. We don't point fingers. We don't judge. We just say, thus saith the Lord, brother and sister. If you have despised God's word, if you are at ease in Zion, take heed. Turn back to the Lord. Look what he does. It's staggering. Look at chapter 4. You think God's not merciful? Look what He does. He doesn't just snap His finger and bring judgment. He brings prophet warnings. He brings blessings to remind us. Look what He does. Chapter 4, verse 6. I gave you cleanliness of teeth in your cities. That's a fancy euphemism for you were starving to death and didn't have anything to eat. I did that as a consequence of your sin. Verse 7. I didn't bring you rain. Verse 8. You wandered to and fro from city to city and you were never satisfied because you couldn't find anything to drink. Number nine, verse nine, I blasted you with blithe and mildew, unfixable by any herbicide or fungicide on the shelves today. I sent it to remind you that I am who I am and I'm calling you to myself. Verse ten, I sent plagues like the manner of Egypt. 
You think the, the coronavirus is a plague meant to wake people up? If you don't, you have your head in the sand. God is sovereign. Whether you think it was invented in Wuha or wherever it came from, it is ordained and allowed by God. And the purpose of that is for His people to humble themselves and for the wicked to turn and repent. Hmm, off quiet. Verse 11, I overthrew some of you. What else does he have to do to get our attention? What else does he have to do to get our attention? Point four, the people's response. How did they respond to all this? They responded in unanimity. A resounding no. Look what it says in verse 6. Go down to the third line. Yet you've not returned to me. Look what it says in the bottom of verse 9. Yet you have not returned to me. Look what it says in the bottom of verse 10. Yet you have not returned to me. Look what it says in the bottom of 11. Yet you have not returned to me. And so he says, because they will not listen to rebuke. They will not listen to the prophets. They will not listen to their blessings. They will not see the judgments from God for the purpose of changing them. He says to them in chapter 4, verse 12, prepare to meet your God. Well, you can uncurl your toes now. God's consequence, Borsh 5. Here's another one. I forgot this. Let me go back to this real second. You know how they responded? Not only they didn't return, but look how they react. Verse chapter 5, verse 10. They hate the one who rebukes in the gate, and they abhor the one who speaks uprightly. Not only did they not listen, they hated the prophet. I hope you don't hate me. They hated Jeremiah. They threw him in the dungeon. They hated Stephen. They stopped their ears and they ran up to him and they started stoning him with stones. They hated Jesus and they put him on a cross. Hate. Men hate God. God loves them. And then they do what we see in America every day. Look at chapter 7. As they have responded against God, not towards God. Look what they do. If it's not even, uh, look what they said. Then Amaziah, he's a false priest of, Beth, of Bethel, sent to Jehoram, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all of his words, for Amos has said that Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will be led away captive from their own land. And Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah. There eat bread and there prophesy, but never again prophesied Bethel, for it's the king's sanctuary and it's the royal residence. (laughs) What a response, huh? You're offending the king. You're offending us. You're a liar. God's not going to judge us. You're a sheep herder. God's consequence. Point five, eight, eight. We're going to go all over this book. Eight, eight. So the people don't respond right, and so there's always a consequence. Be not deceived, God's not mocked. Just because he postpones his judgments, because he's merciful, but it will come. Look at 8.8. Shall not the land tremble for this? We've killed 70 million babies in this great country since 1972. Do you think the land is not going to tremble? If If the blood of Cain cried out to be... Made just, do you think 70 million babies won't? The land trembles. Is not the land trembling for this? It is. Look at chapter 6, 8 through 14. These consequences, they come. The Lord has sworn by Himself. The Lord God of hosts says, I abhor God's the pride of Jacob. I hate His palaces. I'll deliver up the city. And it's horrific 
what he brings in. I'll let you read it for time's sake. I have four minutes. The land will tremble for this. And the saddest thing about all this, and the land did tremble. Israel was taken captive and dispersed. About 30 years later, the nation of Israel was ransacked and destroyed by the Babylonians in 586. So almost 200 years. First of all, he went to, uh, to uh, Israel and uh, ransacked them. And then he went to Israel himself, to Jerusalem itself. And that, ta- and that temple was destroyed. And the nation of Israel was captive with the Babylonians for 70 years. But this is the saddest thing to me, and I just see this every day in America. 8.11, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Nobody wants to hear it. You put on our sign, Amos, behold, prepare to meet your God. You think people are going to say, we need to go hear that. But if we see a sign that says... God wants you to be rich, and He wants you to be famous, and He wants you to be popular, and He wants to give you whatever you want. That's going to attract people. So we see a famine of God's Word. It's not popular to sit here and listen to this. People, you got lots of other things to do, and you got lots of alternatives. But I'm thankful you're here. May it never be in this church that we shirk the sword of the word and we don't wield it when it needs to be. And may we as a people not flee from that, but desire it and want it to change us. Okay? Famine of hearing God's word. 311, adversities, adversaries will come. Thus says the Lord, an adversary will be around the land, and he will sap your strength. They came. They're coming to America. Our adversaries are coming. And unless we repent and turn, I won't even name who they are. You know who they are. They're coming. And God will turn us over to them if we don't turn and repent. He said he would. He has precedence for doing that. He will do that again. And then we see sudden destruction comes. I'll let you read that for yourself in Amos 9, 1 through 4. Sigh. The question the psalmist asks is, Psalm 11, 3, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Proverbs fourteen thirty four tells us that... Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. What is the remedy for us, God's people? What is a remedy for our nation? It is one thing. If you are a follower of Christ, even though you may be lukewarm and indifferent and cold, and you are ineffective, and you've lost your savor, and you are not effective as a lampstand, but you are covered by your sin and its effectiveness, hear this, if you are a believer, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if you hear my voice, I will come in and sup with you. So if you are a believer... And if you are one of His, He stands at the door of your heart knocking for re-entry, metaphorically speaking, and he, 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 he desires renewed fellowship with you. But you must confess sin, you must turn from it, and you must seek Him. Amos 5.4 tells us, For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. That's it. Don't go to Bethel. Don't go to Gilgal. We've talked about that. That's false way. That's the broad gate that leads to destruction. That's not the narrow way. That's your way. That's religiosity. Don't go to Gilgal. Don't do vain worship. Don't mix it with leaven. Seek me and live. 14.15, same chapter 5 of Amos, seek good and not evil that you may live, so the Lord God of hosts will be with you as you've spoken. Hate evil, love good. Establish justice. It may be that the Lord of God of hosts will be gracious. Repent, 
Turn, put on, put off. Colossians 3. Put off the old. Put off the lying. Put off the covetousness. Put off the spiritual laziness. Put off the indifference. Put off the lukewarmness. Put off being indifferent to God's Word. Seek Him and live. Seek Him and live. There is a standard, and that standard is metaphoric, metaphorized. If that's a word, sounds like one to me. <laughs> Amos 7, 7 and 8. He calls us to this standard of perfection, and he uses a metaphor of a plumb line. For you builders, you know that a plumb line measures straightening is a standard upon which everything is built upon. Look what Amos says in one of his, his third vision. Uh, he says, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line. With a plumb line in his hand, the Lord said to me, what do you see, Amos? And he said, a plumb line. And the Lord said, I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. So he calls us to standard of righteousness, which is Christ, the standard of straightness, the foundation upon whom which we are all. So go back to the plumb line, go back to the standard, and look at the joyful, joyful results as God sifts us, as God judges us, as God's point of judgment is to chasten us because He loves us, His point of chasteness is to bring Him back to Himself and renew fellowship. We see that in Amos 9, verse 9. Surely I will command, and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations. As grain is sifted, yet not the smallest grain shall fall to the ground. And then he says in verse 11, On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, repair its damages, raise up its ruins, rebuild the days of old, and they shall possess the remnant of Eden and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. So the Lord does this thing. And he talks about replanting and bringing back the captives and bringing back the waste cities. Then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. God is faithful. God is serious about His holiness. God calls us to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. God warns us by prophets. He warns us by calamities. He warns us by the judgment He brings on His people. And He calls you and I to repentance. And He calls us back to Himself. It must begin with us. It must begin with me. Everybody understand that? Pretty clear. Not a popular word, but the Word of God. We trust that it will accomplish His purpose. And uh, let me pray. Father, thank You for the warnings of this great book. We thank You that You're a loving God. You warn us. And You tell us what the standard is. You tell us to love Your Word. You tell us if we don't love Your Word, we'll fall into do things unimaginable to us. You tell us not to be at ease. You tell us to finish the work. You tell us to fight the good fight. You tell us to be faithful to the end and you call us to be ministers of reconciliations and to be ambassadors for Christ. May we hear that today, church. May some who are lazy spiritually stop it. May they stop making excuses and may they be faithful. May they find out their gifting and do what you've called them to do. And you've promised your blessings on obedience Maybe not prosperity, maybe not what we define as blessing, but what you define as blessing, success is obedience to you. And help us to be that way. Forgive us of our failings. Help us to look to you, Father. We thank, look to your Son, the author, the finisher, who for the joy, he, he endured the suffering of the cross for us. Cause us to look to him in your name. Amen.